Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, the podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. But the worst thing, uh, Michael, that I think is happening is Oregon is beginning to earn a reputation that this is an impossible place to do business with. I was just speaking with some gentlemen who'd come back from a national um, meeting of business people. And when word went out that they were from Oregon, the first question is, what the hell's wrong with you people? And um, when that kind of attitude is present on the business landscape, it's going to be damn difficult for Oregon to overcome. Um, we got plenty of money to try out all this goofy crap, like handing out crack pipes and foil. Although I have to tell you, since you and I spoke, that policy has been rescinded. And so it was supplanted by a how-to book on um, introducing drugs into one system in suppository form. Uh, this is under the heading of harm reduction. I mean, anything, I suppose, is better than sticking a needle in your arm. So we start out by under the heading of harm reduction, we're going to give you foil and a crack pipe. Uh, the big joke was they had a big pile of cocaine and a plastic straw, a picture of it. And the question was, which one of these is illegal in Oregon? Well, it's the plastic straw because we have... Um, through, an, I think, a terrible miscarriage, um, an uninformed electorate got sold a bill of goods about functionally legalizing personal use amounts of drugs in this state. And so people are openly using and flopping over on the streets of Portland, um, but we're not doing anything to, to open up the doors and say, come on down, do business here. Uh, it's still impossible to get through wetland permitting, and that's only exacerbated by the failure of the feds to be able to make a decision. It's going to be interesting that now the Supreme Court has opined on a, a case, the Sackett decision, that may make it easier to build in areas with wetlands in Oregon. It's going to break the heart of the wetland overseers um, because expanding their power has been something they have done with alacrity for the last two decades. But uh, we're still waiting for um, federal interpretation of the second decision to see whether or not it affects some big companies that are talking about making substantial investments in this state. Let's, uh, let's take a left turn. I just wanted to ask you, in terms of your being a legislator for the last 20 plus years, you've had to sit down at the table with people with very different opinions from yours. You probably sometimes, maybe a lot of times, I don't know, I won't ask you that, but maybe didn't like the people that much. But you were still able to get somewhere, right? So why isn't that going on more now? I mean, it couldn't have been easy for you to do that, right? Well, let me start by saying I may not have liked them, and they sure as hell reciprocated. Uh, I would not say I was Miss Congeniality in the legislature, but I had a reputation for getting stuff done. Um there needs to be more of it. But the funniest thing, Michael, is that I, I listen to people talk. I had a legislator, a Republican, call me and say, why can't there be more bipartisanship? And then I listened to Ms. Drazen this morning talk about um, politics, notwithstanding, we need to get together and find that middle ground. 
Well, before I ran for governor, that was exactly the message that we polled and focus tested. And the question was put to the electorate. Do you want to have less politics in your politics? Oh, yeah, we think that's a good idea. Do you care about the party of your gut? No, we, we want to see things get done. The parties work together. And yet it, it didn't happen in my race and it's not going to happen at the national level. And it's really very sad because as the 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 far right wing of the R's and the far left wing of the D's get goofier, and I mean goofier, it just polarizes the debate. And uh, things have changed over the course of the last decade where if you and I disagree, we can't just disagree. The prevailing attitude now is I got to grind you into paste in order to make my point. And that room for dialogue is is gone. Um, it just, it is, uh, and it's sad. Uh, you and I've talked about this lots of times that I see much of the legislature through the sepia tone of my father's service when he was a Republican serving a Republican district in Central Oregon and was appointed by a Democrat Speaker of the House to chair a major committee. That never would happen now, never. And it's a it's a dirty, crying shame. The best ideas are those ideas that are negotiated or compromised or come with the best ideas from both sides. And that just is not the norm anymore. It'll be interesting at the national level to see what happens to this no labels group that is actually talking about fielding a, um, a, a non-affiliated candidate. And depending on which set of pundits you listen to, the R scream bloody murder that it's just going to help the D's, the D's scream bloody murder that's just going to help the R's. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's interesting that at the national level for the first time, it's getting some significant traction. Well, one observation I would make is these days, you're not a consumer of social media by and large. I mean, you'll see some, but you're not on your phone looking at Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You're not doing that. Um, but what people do is they gravitate toward folks supposedly giving the news that align with their point of view, whereas it used to be, you know, back in the Walter Cronkite, uh, you know, John Chancellor, Tom Brokaw, whatever days, you didn't really know where their politics were. They just gave you the news. But now you get opinion along with your news, and it usually aligns with the way you think. So it automatically makes people more polarized and angry. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I just when you said Walter Cronkite's name, his his face flashed in front of my eyes. Um, the night he signed off, I wept. Walter was my guy. And um, I, just a newsman's newsman. And you as a former news guy, he's probably in that pantheon of, of reporters that all of you that were in that profession look up to revere and emulate. Yeah, we, you know, we try. <laughs> Though I never said it, and that's the way it was. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's just, the, the news is different now. Um, you have entire channels dedicated to a point of view. And it makes it difficult to get, you know, good information. And I know when you were in the legislature, you would have people come in, and you want to hear from both sides. You want to hear from every side, if you possibly can, so you can make an informed decision. You're not going to discount somebody just because you don't agree with them necessarily. Yeah, that's exactly true. That's exactly true. And as the character of the lobby is changing in the legislature, it was changing as I was leaving. 
um, but the the good lobbyists you could rely on to tell you both sides. And I frequently would ask a lobbyist after they'd made their case for why I should support whatever thing it is that they were um, promoting. I'd say, okay, if the other side were sitting here, what would they tell me? And it was fascinating. The good lobbyists would say, this is what they'd say about the case we've just laid out to you. The bad ones would say, um, you know, I don't know, or would fib about it. Um, it. It was the good lobbyists that could break out both sides of an issue. So what else you got on your mind to tell folks today? Well, other things that are going on, um, we're having a big powwow tomorrow with uh, Oregon State University and talk about some opportunities that might exist for them outside of Corvallis as their portfolio expands and um, their reach expands. Uh, in our system of higher education, it's hardly a system anymore. We've got the two powerhouse universities, um, Oregon State University and University of Oregon, and then um, a polytechnic university uh, used to be um, um, OIT, Oregon Institute of Technology, and it's now Oregon Tech. And they they occupy a unique niche in um, in applied research and and technology, and then some regional institutions. And these regional institutions are struggling, as are some community colleges, as enrollment continues to drop. And competition is, uh, I mean, you can only cut the pie so many ways before everybody starves. And uh, so it's, it's um, we're going to have a, a conversation with OSU. Interestingly enough, both Oregon State University and University of Oregon had outposts in downtown Portland, and they have since decamped from those downtown outposts. Their students didn't want to be on the streets. Uh, there was a a what was called the duck store. The mascot for the University of Oregon is a duck. And the duck store was downtown that sold duck paraphernalia for games and, you know, um, phone covers and computer covers and briefcases and t-shirts and all that stuff. And uh, the windows kept getting broken out of this very well-traveled um, street where the duck store was in an ornate, beautiful turn-of-the-century building that had been lovingly restored. And they just couldn't take it anymore. And so they have decamped. And I'm hoping that we can make the case to Oregon State University that they need a presence in the metropolitan area that isn't downtown Portland and that they might consider Columbia County. We are as, as close a drive to Portland as the next major city Hillsborough is, uh, only it's an easier drive from a traffic perspective. And so with 500 acres of developable land out here and already an academic presence that includes Portland State University, Oregon State University, Oregon Tech, and Portland Community College, we're trying to set the table for a favorable review by Oregon State to see if they'd like to have a, a greater presence. So um, uh, that's part of next week. Um, next week for me, surprisingly, is a pretty light week, which is a good thing because I'm going to end up staffing Adrian Allen, the founder of the Advanced Manufacturing Research Center, when he comes. And maybe if I can squeeze a couple of minutes out of him, we could put him on this show. I loved having him on before. This is a guy who has a screensaver, the picture on his screensaver 
of him showing Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth around the AMRC. Um, he was, uh, he and his colleague were both um, uh, granted Queen's honors. One of them is a commander of the British Empire. The other is an uh, of order of the British Empire. These are honorific and meritorious awards that are bestowed by the Queen for people who have had unusual influence on the health and well-being of the uh, of the Commonwealth, the, the United Kingdom, and. Uh, so um, I'm I'm honored and privileged to help show Adrian around and show him what we've done at Omix since he was here last. So I'm actually glad for kind of a, a lull in the week. But God, you'd never know. Every time the phone rings anymore, there's something. This is a target-rich environment to opine on. And I at least want to tell our listeners that I'm going to start appearing on Rick Dancer's uh, show and um, I uh, am also reaching out and appearing on a thing called PDX Real that is run by a woman named Angela Todd. And Angela, in largely an effort that started on a shoestring, is now in a position where she's got a lot of viewers and she is routinely breaking big stories here in Portland. I welcome the opportunity to uh, get input from listeners on things that we might opine on moving forward. Just the, the the conversations we've had since we've started up the show again, your life doesn't sound that much different, is it? It really isn't. The only true difference is that I get to pick which uh, fights to take my dog to. There are some of the the you know neighbor to neighbor disputes. His tree is putting leaves in my yard that I used to deal with as a senator, and now I can say, here's your new senator's name. But for the big stuff, it is not my nature, nor has it ever been title or not to turn away somebody who needs help. And so um, my life really isn't that different. And as long as I have it within my capabilities to to help, that's the place I'm going to end up. It was a little easier when I had the state budget in my back pocket and I had a fancy title, but uh, it, it, it ostensibly hasn't changed at all. But your Rolodex hasn't changed, and that's where your value comes in, I think, not just your expertise, but the people you know. I mean, you were listing one a couple of years ago, I think it was. You were telling me all the people that you had in your, your Rolodex, for folks who may not know, that's the old flip file thing you put all your addresses and phones in that you now keep on your telephone, your cell phone. But at any rate, you, you know a lot of people. I do, and I met a lot during the campaign, and um, I made a lot of friends during the campaign and broadened my knowledge of issues we're going to head out to Pendleton here shortly, and I'm going to record a, um, a, a part of a documentary for the creation of a water improvement project over in the Umatilla Basin that almost didn't happen because of the maladroit handling of Oregon um, and what the farmers did to take matters into their own hands to both preserve uh, water available for, for crops as well as to uh, sequester. And so you take water out in the high flow times and you put water back in so it's available for low flow. So I'm going to go out and do that. And uh, I'm headed down to uh, to Coos Bay at the beginning of not next week, but the week after. Um, my dear, dear former legislative colleague and dear friend, Senator Verger, who is now approaching her 94th year. Um, I just want to keep tabs on her. She and I were good friends, and I think we were very 
efficient and effective colleagues. And so I'll be headed down to Coos Bay and just checking in down there. So it's, I'm still getting around the state. I'm still talking to people. I'm still in the public square and have no interest or reason not to be. So that I, you and I are going to have plenty of information going forward. I'm thrilled the band's back together and I will be doing this on a weekly basis. Yes, we will. And uh, Joanne Verger is a heck of a lady. Uh, got to meet her a couple of times, and uh, she was a huge fan of our previous show when you were still in the legislature. Uh, she was always saying something, go Betsy, something very encouraging. Just a neat, neat lady, very strong lady, had a heck of an upbringing, if I recall, and she just seemed, seemed she was a good friend for you, and still she is. She was, and still is, and she told me some great Southern expressions like, Betsy, bless her heart. And then you say whatever you're going to say next. And that bless her heart is about as elastic a phrase as God ever made. It can be extremely complimentary, but it can also be a literal translation for the dumbest person God put on the planet. So Senator Verger taught me a, a few good little Southern twists and turns, and I treasure her as a dear, dear friend. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions, Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S, at BetsyJohnson.com.